0: I'm Emily and I'm Jennifer. And welcome to All Things Terror. This is a weekly researched podcast where we tell you terrifying tales from science history and true crime. I, nailed- I almost <laughs> Go ahead. I nailed it. I nailed the intro. I've been having some trouble with it. Uh this season 3, it's been a little tricky, but I'm doing a good job. Did a good job on that one. I'm proud of myself.
1: I mean, you heard me. I was speechless.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer, uh, what's terrifying you this week? Emily and I have a
1: confession to make.
0: I feel like, again, I think this might have gotten deleted, but Clint, please look up what is the amount of song you can use without paying for it, and then just put in a little sound clip of Usher going.
1: Confessions. I think you get a couple of seconds.
0: I think you get, like, four seconds, honestly.
1: <laughs> so we'll get, like, um, confess. <laughs> confess. <laughs> like, it just stops there. It's, like, not, not even, like, a short confession. Nope. We just get the eh. But anyways, um, Emily and I did a bad. We recorded an entire episode... And then what happened, Emily?
0: Yeah, I, I, it's very generous of you to say we did a bad, but basically um, we recorded Jen's episode number four, and right as we were finishing up, no joke, um, my computer crashed and deleted my half of the whole thing, which means that we did not have the episode. But what happened before the
1: computer crashed that time?
0: Well, it did crash a time before when we were recording episode three, but it rebooted and had the the file recovered. And this time it did not recover the file. So that was all very sad and upsetting. We were optimistic, but it was gone. Yeah, but we learned our
1: lesson to never be optimistic again. Hope is for fools. (laughs) (laughs) So the reason why we're telling this is because for the most part, Emily and I don't share what each other's story is. So I go into her story blind, she goes into my story blind. Yep. Is Am I being ableist? Clint, Mm, let's cut that out.
0: Probably. I don't know. But we do go in not knowing what the other person is doing. So we can't see the story. I don't know if that's ableist. I mean, I'm fine with that in people tell us let's
1: just cut all that out
0: (laughs) i mean it's not like dropping the n-word like it's a common phrase if someone says hey this common phrase is ableist then we'll know not to use it anymore but if we like drop the n-word right now okay everyone agrees that that's fucking horrible and offensive and if you're using it there's no like whoopsie factor I don't, know. I'll, I'll just, I don't. I'll. i just. I don't know. That makes sense. Clint, cut that all out. <laughs>
1: yeah, cl- cut our discussion out. I trust you to make the wise decision here. Going back into it, so it's an important element to our show because I think it's exciting for both of us to find ways in which what we're talking about is re- related. But sometimes what we talk about inspires future episodes. So it's an element we both enjoy, and we've only planned one episode where we knew where what each other was talking about yeah and that was the
0: one that you have probably just listened to on
1: dial Love pass so sad feelings i just told this whole story and we lost the episode so now i'm going to tell the story again but we did something exciting
0: yeah, because so at the end of Jennifer's story, she said, and this is directly related to this other thing. And I said, actually, there's another case about that. And so we decided after the episode crash that that conversation was interesting. And we are going to craft a semi two-parter, semi just two episodes that are related uh, thing How instead. Are- <laughs> How are
1: our stories related?
0: So, Jennifer told a story that involves um, something spooky happening, and then that spooky thing resulting in some extra spooky billboards. And yes. I said, Well, let me tell you about some other
1: spooky billboard stories. So, our stories are about billboards. You're welcome. You're about to listen to, potentially, three hours of Billboard talk. It <laughs> sounds like the worst
0: NPR show ever. <laughs> I... All... <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. Right? Uh, I mean, they had car talk. Uh, Billboard talk is right around the corner. Alright, that's our next podcast. <laughs> Clint is definitely going to kill us now because he loves NPR. Like, we're just going to get a text message from him that says, How dare you in all caps when he hears this?
1: In in defense of Car Talk, which I did listen to that show religiously. Oh my those God. Those guys Jennifer, were really Seriously, entertaining.
0: how are we friends? I fucking hated Car Talk. You know why we're friends. <sighs> the pact. We're, the secret listen, that we can never tell anyone else. That's why.
1: What? We're (laughs) Jimily. and while we have things that are opposite of each other, where we meet in the middle is very complimentary. That's true. Which is also why you're going to be my wife. Well, I mean... And also because you lost a
0: bet, so. Yeah, mostly the bet, but honestly, being your wife could only enhance my life, so I'm not going to protest that one too hard. (laughs) So I will say one last thing before we get into the billboard stories. Um, You may have heard these stories before, but I know that both of us have gone out of our way to tell them in new ways or do some more research, so uh, definitely stick with us if you're like, oh, I know this. Maybe you do, but maybe we're going to tell you new things you haven't heard before. Damn.
1: And this is something I think both of us put some pride into, which is we do we do real research, you know, I'm, I will admit when I don't find many sources reporting the same thing, which means that information is potentially questionable. Or if, you know, especially when I'm doing some stuff that's a little more science-based, I'll go in and make sure I understand, like, the theoretical foundations of those conversations, that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, we, I think everyone probably took some sort of class where they had to talk about, like, how whether or not something is common knowledge so for me if i don't have at least felix you it's know okay settle down there's nothing out there so if i don't have three to five reputable sources giving me the same facts that's when i, I might write something down because i think it's interesting but i also note that it's questionable yeah so that being said... That being said, neither of us are doing a science this time. <laughs> no sciencing this time. No. But there will be probably a mention of fire. Arson. Fire arson. Fire arson. <laughs>
0: From now on, we even <laughs> if we're not talking about arson, the phrase that is always and forever shall be used in this podcast
1: is fire arson. Fire arson. Yep. So... Uh, My story is about Christmas, George and Jenny Sauter, and the Mafia.
0: Now, Clint, here's where you put in a tiny clip of the Charlie Brown Christmas. Christmas
1: time is here. (laughs) And then maybe something Mafia related. That'd be cool.
0: Yep. Thank you, Clint. Love you.
1: Love you. Kind of. So... 12 24 1945 in Fayetteville, West Virginia. The Sauter family was settling in for a fun and delightful, pretty regular Christmas Eve. <laughs> I like the fun
0: and delightful right next to a pretty regular.
1: I mean, sometimes regular can be fun and delightful. I mean, spoken like a true introvert. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> So, um, George and Jenny have ten children. Jesus fucking Christ. Her vagina is tired. Not to mention her patients.
0: Oh, my God. Well, but once you get that many kids, I mean, the older ones just kind of raise the younger ones, and it's just sort of like animals forming a pack at that point.
1: We're not popular with mothers. Uh
0: Uh, listen I say this more as remembering what I was like (laughs) as a child like children are fucking sociopaths and like yeah no I remember um one of my good friends growing up had she was one of five and she was the middle one and like we would be playing and people would be like oh is your mom or dad home and they'd all be like I don't know And, like, if anyone started fighting, they wouldn't be like, I'm telling mom or dad. They'd be like, I'm telling Jonathan. And we'd be like, no, no, don't tell Jonathan. Like, don't tell the oldest brother. Because that would be worse. Like, if you told their mom (laughs) and dad, they'd be like, I'm trying to work or, like, build a shed or whatever the fuck I'm doing. Like, don't bother me. If you told Jonathan, he'd, like, beat your ass and be like, stop being a dumbass. So, like, yeah, we were were pretty feral. But... Benignly. Like, you know, the trap-neuter-release cats that will let you pet them, but they're like, we're just happier to be outside.
1: (laughs) Don't fuck with Jonathan, y'all. No,
0: don't tell Jonathan you're misbehaving.
1: Well, anyways. um, A very tired vagina. (laughs) And some tired patience. So, George and Jenny have ten kids, and... Here is a giant list of the ones that live in the house. Um, there's the two-year-old Sylvia. Oh, no. Maurice.
0: Sylvia. Womp womp. That reminds
1: me of your Sylvia Likens episode. I know. That episode was really hard to get through. Yeah. So two-year-old um, Sylvia. Maurice, who is 14. Martha, who is 12. Louis, who is 9. Jenny, the child. Not Jenny, the adult. Who so- is Who is 8. We got two Jennies, Okay. And Betty, who is five. And then the two older sons in the house are John, who is 23, and George, who, are si- who is 16. And they had one other son named Joe, who was fighting in World War Two. He did not live in the house.
0: Okay, so they range in age from 2 to 23. Is that right?
1: I assume joe is it says the oldest is joe like all these researches uh research i did but oh so um, he's not there he's not there but i have no idea what his age is oh he's just he's fighting in world war ii living his own nightmare so the, yeah no shit right so the oldest one who's there is how old 14 Tw- 23
0: 23 okay yeah that's what i wanted to clarify and then the youngest one who's there is two
1: yeah, so 23, 16, wow. uh, 14, 12, 9, 8, 5 and 2. Yeah, that's like two decades of diapers right there. And a partridge in a pear tree. Jesus, yeah. Yeah, so... Hats off to you, ma. It- For real. So, um... George and Jenny, they do their normal grown-up stuff, and then comes around to be bedtime, and... Maurice, Martha, Lewis, Jenny, and Betty say, Hey mom, dad, can we stay up late and play with our new toys? And Jenny is like, you know what? That's cool, kids. Merry fucking Christmas. You can stay up late. Yeah. But But if you stay up a little longer, you need to turn off the lights, close the curtains. And lock the front door. And the kids are like, we promise. Because that's what kids do.
0: Yeah, and then they don't do it. And also, you know that this is an old-timey story. Because if it was modern day, the dad would be like, and turn down the thermostat. I mean it. Don't leave this thermostat up.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I lied. There's also Marion. Um, Marion is the oldest sister. And Marion actually stays up with the five other children and watches them while they play their kit, uh, play with their new toys. Which, by the way, being the oldest, that is, like, the worst fucking chore is watch your brother and sister. Or in her case, watch your brothers and sisters.
0: Yeah, actually, when I was a teenager, um, and, like, my mom and dad would go out, I would not babysit my brother and sister, because I was like, they won't listen to me. So, like, my mom and dad would go out with... Um, like their friends who also had kids, and I would go to their friend's house, and one of my friends would come and watch my brother and sister. <laughs> and nice. So remember when I say that kids are basically feral cats? There is a beautiful example.
1: <laughs> well, that didn't happen for Marion. No, unfortunately, for Marion. So she stayed up watching Maurice, Martha, Lewis, Jenny, and Betty. Mm-hmm. Um, George and Jenny, the adult, take Sylvia, the two-year-old, to bed. Um, the older two sons, George, or, yeah, George Jr. and John, had spent the day working, uh, for their father. Their father owns uh, coal trunking, uh, coal trunking, geez, <laughs> coal trucking business so they they spent the whole day working for their dad and they're like dad we're beat we're so tired can't we my young can't we go to school pa my young body isn't meant for this kind of labor (laughs) my joints my joints aren't fully developed (laughs) so they go they go straight to bed so um kids so the younger kids are staying up playing with their new toys on christmas eve Um, mom, dad, and baby are asleep, two sons with jobs are asleep, seems pretty average, right? Yep. So, presumably, like, around, at least by midnight, um, if not a little past or a little bit before bed night, or bed night, geez, midnight, I can't speak today, um, everyone is in bed. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Ooh la la. Hey,
0: that's in public domain. We could say that whole poem if we wanted to.
1: We can. But we won't. I don't have it memorized. Otherwise, I would.
0: Uh, all I remember is sprung some, like, that there's something about a kerchief and a cap, and I'm like, they're sleeping in hats? And then he sprung to the window to see what was the matter of, and what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer.
1: That's it. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> but also, yes, why did people have sleeping cats? I don't know. It's C- weird. I I feel like this is something I'm going to have to internet later. But anyways, <laughs> so the whole family is asleep. Um. So f- inside of George's office... The phone rings. And Jenny is the one who is woke by the phone. Mom Jenny, right? Mom Jenny. Okay. She's also woke by a lot of societal issues, but (laughs) mainly the phone. She answers the phone, and she hears a voice that's unfamiliar. Um, The person asks for somebody who she doesn't know. It's a woman, and she can hear like laughter in the background. And when she told that person on the phone, like, "Hey, that person doesn't live here," they just kind of unlocked would uh, unlock. Geez, hung up the call. And Jenny felt like that was a little bit weird, but didn't think anything of it. Oh right.
0: my gosh, Jennifer! My story also involves a mysterious midnight phone call slash hang
1: up. This is perfect. Perfect. <laughs> We're really good at this. But anyways, <laughs> so, um, and I'm going to pause because I couldn't actually get verifiable arrangement. So this is one of those I'm acknowledging, I, I'm i not sure which facts are real facts, but the arrangement of the house is super unclear to me. But from what I understand, um, there's a bedroom downstairs and that's where the living room is and the office is and it sounds like where the older children also have their room and upstairs is where um the younger children have their room. Okay. So Jenny is leaving her bedroom I think from downstairs, going into George's office, which I also think I'm actually pretty confident is downstairs. Okay. And as she is has to be, logically it has to be, because as she's coming out of the office Um, she notices that in the living room that all the lights were on in the house and the doors were unlocked and the curtains were still open. So she's like, you know what? Goddamn kids. You had one job. Okay. Three jobs. And you didn't do any of them. But you know, the good mother that she is, you know, she goes in, she locks the doors, closes the curtains, turns out the light and she's probably like, well, they're playing with their new... their new toy. So, also, they're like five. You know, children. Yeah, that aren't fully formed in their maybe uh, conscientiousness yet. So, she does all this stuff and she goes back to bed. So, Jenny already had one interruption in the middle of the night. She's going to get not great sleep, but, you know, she's back to sleep. Then, a little bit later, Uh, what happened was that Jenny heard, like, a sound. So, and I believe this is taken directly from Jenny's account of what she heard, because it's in several of the sources that I looked up, but she hears, like, it sounds like something, like somebody threw something on top of their roof. She just hears, like, this noise. Like a thump. Like, yeah and I actually just smacked the desk. I'm sorry, Clint, I'm speak with my hands. it's what I do.
0: Yeah, but you can thematically leave that in because it works. <laughs>
1: Boom. <laughs> if you can actually just make it louder and like reverberate it and add some distortion that would be great. Yeah perfect. <laughs> so what she heard was like a like a thunk and then the sound like something is rolling on the roof. And it sounds like she sat and listened for a little bit, because at that point, um, nothing really happened after she heard that sound, so she went back to sleep. So Jenny has now been interrupted in her sweet Christmas Eve slumber twice.
0: Well, I will also say, if she lives with ten other people, like... I live with three cats and a dog, and I'll wake up to sounds and just be like, shut up, and then go back to sleep. Like, (laughs) you just get used to sounds coming from other people and, like, other living things. So I'm sure she, like, listened to hear if, like, is anyone crying? No, okay, it's fine, and then, like, went back to bed.
1: I I think that's probably fair. Right. (laughs) So, hears a noise, goes back to sleep, and roughly around 1 o'clock in the morning on... On Christmas, she woke up again. But this time she woke up. She woke up again because she smelled smoke. Oh, it's a bad way to wake And of course, this was the real waking up because she gets out of bed. She she sees fire in George's office, Mm. which is on the first floor. And of course, grabs Sylvia and wakes up her husband.
0: Yeah, that would be a very terrifying way to wake up.
1: Yep. Jenny, the adult, Sylvia, the baby, George, John, and George Jr., plus Marion, all escape the fire. Like, they're on the first floor, they get out. Yeah, But the fire um, coming from George's office had actually... Got into the staircase and basically created a fire barrier preventing um, Jenny and George from getting to their children that stay on the second floor. So, and also remember, this is fire. So, hallway was filled Uh, with uh, smoke. uh, 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 Fire arson. This was fire arson. (laughs) Hallway was filled with smoke. um, Smoke inhalation is a very real thing. There are flames covering the stairway. Really not supposed to go up and down stairs during a fire, people. If your house is on fire, please avoid stairs. Yeah. Please avoid them. Also most people who die in a
0: fire die for or a plane crash. Die from smoke inhalation, not from like being burnt up.
1: Yes. So George and Jenny did what they could because they did the right thing. Instead of running up the stairs, they scream upstairs like, Hey, kids, Ah, fire, arson. Fire, arson, um, jump out the window. Burning reindeer. I don't know. Something is happening. Please get the fuck out. So everyone that gets out of the house gets out of the house. So once they get out front and they take a account of who is there, they're like, we're missing children. So... The flames, of course, are are growing quickly. Now, I've seen pictures of the house. It's you know relatively small to uh, to today's standards. And previously, we talked about how fire doesn't spread laterally easily. Well, this is a very old, like, extremely wooden house. (laughs) So. I like the phrase extremely wooden. (laughs) Very wooden. It is so wooden.
0: Yeah, I mean, fire doesn't spread laterally easily, but it can spread very fast, especially if there's oxygen and something combustible. So, yeah, an extremely wooden house would not last long.
1: Yep, and it sounds like it was burning vertically pretty quickly. Yeah. So, um, so the- Flames were growing, and uh, eventually, like quickly enough, George couldn't even get back into the house. The flames had blocked all entry into the house on the first floor. So, George goes, Aha, what I will do is get the five children that are upstairs out of the house through a window that's on the top floor. And I being the responsible person I am, will run over to the side of the house, get the ladder that is very reliably always there, place it up against the window that I will rescue the children from, and all will be okay.
0: Yeah. Easy
1: peasy. Easy. Well, the ladder's not there.
0: Ah, Because as Clint said once, this is not all things pleasant.
1: Yes. (laughs) So, George goes, Well, Fuck. But George is a resourceful and quick thinker. He goes, but I have trucks that I use for my coal trucking company, which, you know, I imagine are rather large trucks. Sure, they've got to does... be trucking coal. Mm-hmm. Yep. He does not have one but two trucks on his property. So he goes over to his trucks and he's like, I'm going to drive you up to the house <laughs> like and then i'm gonna explaining this to the trucks now hey trucks what's up i mean don't you tell things what you're going to do with them well i will now <laughs> so George's like i'm gonna pull these up or pulling these trucks up i'm gonna climb up on top of it i'm gonna get to that window i'm gonna grab kids out of the window and then everything's gonna be okay so he goes over to the truck tries to start the first truck engine won't turn He's like, that's peculiar. This truck was working just yesterday. So he goes, no bother. I have the second truck. So he goes into the second truck, starts the engine, engine won't turn. And he's like, well, no, this is a problem.
0: This sure is a pickle. My children are about to burn up.
1: Yes. Hmm. What else could possibly go wrong for George in this story? Well... They just kind of hit hard, fuck it. And they're like, okay, I'm going to throw water on these flames. Well, literally every container of standing water near the house was frozen over. It is a cold night. So, George has exhausted his options. He can't run back into the house. He can't climb the ladder. He can't get the trucks to move. He can't even you know, fruitlessly throw water on the fire, he's just screwed. Ugh, I so, just
0: that must be the worst feeling. Like I just imagine him like pacing back and forth, like pulling his hair out. Like, what do I do? What do I do?
1: Exactly. So then you're probably thinking, well, at least help is on the way, right? Mm-hmm. Surely someone has called the fire department. Unlike an old at fashioned Yeah. Well Not with that sound. (laughs) I will have you know that the phones in the area, for some reason, were not connecting to an operator, and they could not, not a single neighbor, contact the fucking fire department.
0: Once again, I mean, I know that you and I like history, but this just further sets up our point that the past sucked i mean this has nothing to do with smelling like poop but this is you know wildly inefficient to have to talk to an operator to get you somewhere else
1: yes it was very puzzling but finally
0: especially because uh grown-up jenny had gotten that phone call
1: yes yes grown-up jenny gotten a phone call why the fuck can anyone else manage to get a hold of a goddamn operator to contact the motherfucking fire department, right? Invent 911. You might be saying, yes, Jennifer, why is that true? Oh, don't worry, dear listeners. I have the answer to that. So, um, eventually a neighbor was able to, I don't know how eventually, <laughs> and I don't know which neighbor, but neighbor was able to They're contact... They're like,
0: quick, Jimmy, run into town
1: and tell Ted what's happening. <laughs> I really hope that's what happened, but probably not. <laughs> um, they were able to contact the fire chief. And then this is the most groan-worthy part of this story. The fire chief, also unable to contact like a real... Fire department, because remember, this is Christmas Eve. There's a lot of skeleton crew going on. We're also in West Virginia. It's 1945. Um, it's 1945. Um, the fire chief had to call a firefighter, who would then call a firefighter, no. who would then call a firefighter, Yeah. so on and so like on, an and so Like an old-fashioned so PTA phone tree. Yes. <sighs> Except hopefully the message didn't get... Con- right <laughs> like, somebody's house is on fire Turns into i would like a ham sandwich is a problem right so um eventually the fire department arrived at the starter family house um the time was approximately eight o'clock oh my god in the morning Um, the house had already managed to burn down within the hour. Oh my god. Jenny and George and his family getting out. Yeah. So uh, by 8am, like, the fire department showing up is basically just lip service.
0: Right. Like, they're like, oh, I guess we can help you pick up trash.
1: And for those of you who don't like doing math, that's seven hours. Oh, Jennifer, thank you. You know I don't like doing math. (laughs) So, uh firefighters get there, they tame whatever it is, they have to tame, they search the premises. They cannot find the children nor the remains of the children.
0: Can you tell me what children they cannot find things
1: Yes. Um this would be Maurice, Martha, Louis, Jenny the child and Betty. Okay. So how old are these? Like, so Betty was five, right? Six. six. So 14, 12, 10, 8, and 6. Yikes. That's awfully young. Babies. Yeah. And you're probably thinking, well, that's just a really sad fire story, Jennifer. <laughs> fire arson story, Jennifer. Fire arson? What the fuck? This is all things terror. Like, yeah, houses catch on fire, people die. That's sad. So. But you're going to tell me how
0: it's terrifying and sad, aren't you? I am.
1: (laughs) So, the fire department stated that the origin of the fire was electrical. um, That the remains of the children were entirely burned up in the fire. And that the fire was an accident. And how do you think George and Ginny took this news, people? They did not take it at all. (laughs) They're like, ah, bullshit. And I'll tell you why. But first, a message from our sponsors. A message from the sip of water I'm about to take.
0: (laughs) Water. It keeps you hydrated.
1: Thank you, Emily. I agree. Water is great for hydration, and it makes my skin look great, too. Use this code, and you can get 20% off water
0: at this website.
1: (laughs) That's the worst coupon code ever.
0: Well, (laughs) listen, give us better sponsors, and then you'll get better coupon
1: codes. That's fair enough. We have zero sponsors.
0: I like to think of Clint as one of our sponsors. Just out of all of the pain that we put him through that he continues to put up with.
1: That's fair. Thank you, Clint, for sponsoring us. (laughs) Now give us money. (laughs) Here are the things that George and Jenny found interesting. So first off, remember what the fire department said? That the origin was electrical? Yes. Well, George was like, That doesn't really track, because my house was recently inspected and rewired, Mm. so my electrical is fucking on point.
0: Really? I didn't know that. Like, Yep. I mean, I had heard of this story before, but I did not know about the recent electrical happenings.
1: Yep. It was rewired and inspected. Hmm. Um... Then George had another point, which was, why weren't my trucks working? Because they were totally bolt working just the other day. And now you're telling me that this mysterious fire was not at all connected to my trucks not starting up? And by the way, since we're talking about trucks not starting up, what the fuck happened to my ladder? You know where I found this ladder? It was on an embankment, or down an embankment. 75 feet away from my house. Why the fuck was my ladder there? And you know what else they discovered? The telephone lines had been cut.
0: Okay, I will give you the telephone lines. That's fucking weird and spooky. But and then- I am a little skeptical of this story. And only because of the ending. But uh, the one thing I will say about the trucks is, like, if it's cold enough and it's... 1945 truck that they could just not start like <laughs> I, I, I don't I know addendum. what the fuck was going on with cars in 1945 I barely know what's going on with cars now but like yeah if it's cold enough for a pail of water to freeze like it's cold enough for a truck to be like no I can't
1: if <laughs> I feel like this needs to be a quote for this if it's Cold enough in 1945 enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If it's cold enough in 1945 enough, watch the fuck out. That's kind of bad news for me because I live in a really old house that was probably new in 1945, and I don't have central air. I have old-ass radiators, and it gets very cold where I live, so it could be cold enough in 1945 enough, like, half of the year where I am,
1: so... Sounds like you need a vacation for half of a year. R.I.P. me. (laughs) So, um... Jenny was like, yeah, and you know what? Then there was that weird phone call I got. That's right. And then George... And then they are both like, you know what? The Christmas lights were still on during the early part of the fire. I really do call bullshit on this whole electrical thing. Because if it was an electrical issue... Because I, being somebody who understands how electricity works, knows that the Christmas lights wouldn't be on during the fire if the fire was caused by an electrical issue. Duh. Wait, are you being sarcastic about this or are you just doing a voice? I'm just doing a voice. Because he, very seriously, if you have an electrical issue, you're not going to have Christmas lights on. (laughs)
0: Well, but you could have, like, I mean, if you've ever popped a breaker in your house, or even your car, I mean, you have different fuses, so, like, one thing can be functioning perfectly fine and nothing could go out.
1: 1945, not 2019.
0: I have no idea what electricity was doing in
1: 1945. It was... It was still in its infancy.
0: (laughs) I, (laughs) I assume... Actually, this is a good point. I assume it's, like, ungrounded, dangerous AF electricity, so... Yeah,
1: that shit. Well, who knows what's going on with that? I I also don't think it was so complex that you have to worry about, like, fuse boxes at that point. Mm, you know, yeah, they, don't, they know. don't have, like, dishwashers and, um, you know, computers and, I don't know, some other large appliance consuming electricity in the house. But, anyways, it doesn't matter. I will matter. say,
0: though, have you seen a You've seen A Christmas Story, right? The You'll Shoot Your Eye Out movie? Yes. They
1: have fuse boxes in that movie. Fair enough. Um I question what I mean I'm I'm citing
0: a Christmas story a as evidence of something of how electricity functioned
1: in 1945. I was going to say I I question the um Historical accuracy of that movie. (laughs) But also, I just want to point out, this is a country home in West Virginia, so... Okay, yeah, that's... I I, I don't know entirely what this looks like, I just know that basic, like, I agree, basic rules of electricity would be like, well, if your lights are on during a fire, you don't necessarily have an electrical issue, or signs point to you not having one. Plus, you know, um, uh... He, you know, brought up the whole, like, rewire thing. So it is a little odd. Well... It doesn't mean it... And I'll give you a little bit more, like, the rural middle of nowhere. Okay, yeah. That that would definitely affect what's going on, too. So, um, on top of that, George and Jenner are like, well, a lot of the household impl- uh, appliances still look like household appliances, but you're telling me that the bodies of my children were just entirely burned to nothing Ooh. i call bullshit and um some of the things that they bring up do check out so let's talk about the bodies because that's that is the big part of the story which is like what happened to the bodies yeah so so um george and jenny bolted their their um their homework on this. So they asked a crematorium about bodies burning and the crematorium had told them that human bones typically remain after bodies are burned at 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit for two hours or longer. Which is hotter than what the actual house fire got to. So that piece of information indicated to them that there would at least be, like, skeletal remains. Yeah, or at least a bone here or there or something. Somewhere, right? Yeah. And then the other thing that Jenny did is, you know, she basically took some bones and put it in the oven at a certain temperature for a certain period of time to see what happened, and those bones also didn't disintegrate. So these two pieces of information to them indicated that Their children were still alive. They were convinced that their children were still alive. It's so
0: so sad, too, because I'm sure a big part of it is, like, I cannot believe that, what, how many of my children? Six? Just died? Like, there's gotta be some element of, like, this idea that they've been taken feels better than just admitting that, like, defeat or whatever.
1: Right. And... You know, good for them that they, can't, you know, like they 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 were they experienced a devastated loss, and so getting wrapped up in their grief, you know, they were immediately like taking action. Something just doesn't fucking add up. Yeah, like they're super not happy with the the explanation that they got, and felt like, um, really felt like people are mishandling their situation. So. You know, there are no human remains. There are all these weird, kind of, like, strange things going on. They got this information from the crematorium, plus Janine's little oven experience. But some of the weird things were able to be explained. Um, Telephone wire was cut because a thief was in the area, decided to steal some shit, and... Cut the wires so that no one could call the police. Hmm. Like, that tracks. So, do you think um, the thief could have, like, thrown the ladder? They were not able to figure out what happened hmm. with the ladder being where it was. So, it's not entirely clear to me whether or not the thief used that ladder. But, um, just from when I read... It doesn't seem like where the ladder was found was anywhere conveniently located to the telephone pole. Okay. So, weird. Mm -hmm. But Thief decided to steal some shit during a fire arson. (laughs) Uh, Or before a fire arson happened. Also... Um, they were able to find an explanation for a phone call. They actually were able to track down the woman who made that call and was like, look, there is drunken merriment or something like that, and I did totally make a wrong phone call. My bad. Yeah, totally a normal
0: explanation. Yep.
1: So, and, you know, investigators didn't have any reason to think that, like, she had some sort of nefarious involvement in plots or whatever against the Sauter family. Yeah. So... Things that still aren't adding up is the ladder not being where it normally is. The car's not starting. Well, the truck's not starting. Although, if it's cold enough in 1945, enough. Yep. That could explain it. Yeah. Christmas lights still being on during the fire. What am I missing? Bodies. Bodies aren't there. Bodies aren't there. The thump on the roof. The thump on the roof. Um... Which was really suspicious to them. So, um, just like any reasonable person trying to figure out what happened, um, George and Jenny got a billboard. (laughs) So,
0: totally. You know, the number of times that I have put billboards up to get answers to personal things I'm working on. Yep. So,
1: (laughs) this This billboard is, um, is really charged and is extremely accusatory because, so it's placed on Route 16, I believe, in West Virginia. It offers a cash uh, reward for information about their children that they're pretty sure are still alive. Yeah. It shows their picture, the children's pictures, and then this is what it says. After 30 years, it is not too late to investigate. Oh, wow. Like, that's at the very top of the billboard. And then they also put this on here. What was the motive of the law officers involved? What did they have to gain by making us suffer all these years of injustice?
0: Oh, honey. That's really sad.
1: Yeah. So, very charged billboard. Yeah. Um, so a couple of other things The cops are like, that are... dude, we were just incompetent Leave us alone <laughs> It's 1945,
0: goddammit Right It's 1945 enough, we don't know how to do jobs
1: <laughs> when, What does police work? I don't know <laughs> Uh. So They also hired a private investigator And Actually two private investigators And I'll get to that So through, um, one of the, their investigatory tracks, um, George and Jenny found out that the fire department had actually found some bones and a heart on the scene, but then didn't tell the family about it. Oh, no. And so when the family found out about it, and this is like several, several years afterwards, uh, the, the chief... Um, They're like, hey, you didn't tell us about these bones and whatever. So um, the chief took them to the site where they had found the remains. And um, when they tested the remains, it turns out that the heart was actually beef liver and that the bones belonged to someone that was older than any of the children that had uh, presumably perished in that fire.
0: What? So he was like, "Hey, we found some shit. Look at it." And then they're like, "This is not real."
1: Well, it turns out he actually had buried the beef liver there to be like, maybe if the family found any type of remains, then they would believe. Like they would get believe. closure and move on. Yeah,
0: oh. and then it was.
1: It's. A, I mean, like that's weird. What? It's a weird plot point, but also like this. Beef liver wasn't like exposed to like any type of fire or charring or anything, so it's just poorly like executed ass. plan. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it's a
0: pretty cruel like plan to begin with, and then on top of that, you're not even doing it well enough. It's like when I catch students cheating, and I'm like, dude, fucking, if you're gonna cheat, at least put effort in, so it's hard for me to catch you.
1: Right, exactly, and you know, what, like he's trying to pull the wool over these guys' eyes, who are like. It can't be electrical fire for these reasons. It can't be this because of that. And what about this? Like, these are people who are thinking through circumstances. They just obviously don't readily accept, like, the facts as other people see them. Right. You know but I mean? they're gonna. It's also 1945.
0: So, like, if someone showed me, like, an elk liver, I might be like, cool, I'll believe, like, that that is whatever organ you tell me it is. But they're like, dude, I've killed a thousand animals to
1: eat. I know what the fuck that is. Right, George, George and Jenny are, you know, they they don't easily buy into other people's bullshit, no. obviously. So, um something else that's interesting is that in 1947, George and Jenny make um a request directly to J Edgar Hoover to get the FBI involved in the investigation. Totally normal, um, dude. <laughs> yep, totally normal. They actually got a reply back from Hoover. And said, uh, and the letter had said, although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within the investigative jurisdiction of this bureau. However, um, the FBI agents did say that they could help with the investigation if the local authorities would um, approve of their assistance. And as you can guess, the, uh, the local authorities said, nah, son, stay there.
0: Uh, interestingly, that happened in
1: my case, too. You can always trust the local authorities. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, something else that, uh, was pulled up during the investigation requires a little bit of backstory, but I will jump into the backstory and then I will let you guys know when we're getting back into the weird fact. So... George and Jenny Sauter are actually both Italian immigrants, and they both came to the U.S. as children. Obviously not at the same time. They didn't know each other back then. They were not married as children. (laughs) They were not married as children. Um, George is uh, uh, born in Sardinia, and he was originally uh, Giorgio Sadu. Okay. Um... George had really strong political opinions about the dictator Benito Mussolini. And he was not shy about expressing those strong opinions. He was really, really opposed to him.
0: Okay. Because in 1945, if it's 1945 enough, you could go either way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and George's opinions weren't popular. Um... And especially weren't popular in the immigrant community. Apparently, uh, whoever George knew that was part of the Italian immigrant community was very proud of the dictator Benito Mussolini.
0: Hey, well, what's that saying? Hey, he made the trains run on time.
1: Something like that.
0: Yeah, which, uh, false. I I lived in Italy for four months and the trains are never fucking on time and they don't even ever check if you have tickets. Good to know. <laughs> yeah, we used to not buy tickets. And the one time a ticket inspector came by, we just hid in the bathroom <laughs> for like 15 minutes and then it was fine. So, raw youth.
1: <laughs> so, um, so George was that guy that people always roll their eyes at when they, I don't know, just imagine like. Uh, it's Giorgio. He's on his thing about the Mussolini again. Like that, an extreme yeah. He, well, an extreme dissenter. Yeah, they're like, oh great, George is being angry about Mussolini, and I don't agree with this. That would just be like, we're down at the imagine, pub, but uh, we're just trying to
0: relax after a long day, Georgie boy. We're with you, relax.
1: You know, just imagine trying to. I I imagine that the people that were upset with him are like people that believed 9 11 happened as the popular majority of the world believe 9-11 happened and george is the guy who's like it was an inside job (laughs) everyone's so tired of george and his inside job except in this case george is actually right unlike the people who think it's a 9-11 is an inside job that Mussolini is actually a horrible person
0: (laughs) yeah well I mean it must have brought George some comfort then when Mussolini
1: was strung up by his ankles in public celebrated perhaps even yeah I don't know I make no assumptions but I just know that George according to people had very strong opinions and it made him not a super popular guy so a so man... what
0: what does that have to do with the solder, whatever's
1: happening? Okay, so it's important because a man tried to sell George, and I heard like I read like three different types of insurances. So it's like fire, um, Fuck. life or uh, house insurance. I don't know. It's some type of fucking insurance. Yeah, and George is like, no thanks. I'm totally good. And the salesman's like, but yeah, you need to buy this insurance. And George is like, no, I'm good, son. Come on, Jennifer,
0: do a a cartoon Italian accent. The no. I'm not doing
1: that. (laughs) Good call. (laughs) So, so eventually, like, through... I don't know what it is with, like, a certain portion of the population not accepting a rejection, but... (laughs) After A being rejected portion of the male population, I didn't say that. Readly implied. <laughs> Stop spoiling things, Emily. <laughs> um. So after being rejected several times, apparently this guy like blew up at George, and he was like, and he said, "Your goddamn house is going up in smoke, and your children are going to be destroyed. You're going to be paid for the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini." Oh yeah. So this yeah. Is A guy who clearly lives in the area who, of course, because George is loudmouthed, according to the world, understands George's political alignment. And um, what the private investigator was able to find out is that the same man, this very same man that threatened George, served on the coroner's jury that decided that the fire was an accident. Oh, yikes. Yeah, that feels bad. So we have that, we have a fire chief like planting fake evidence, we have a local invest uh authoritative investigators not accepting FBI help, plus all those other things, and George and Jenny are like, This is a fucking conspiracy against us. So Which we will get a little more into. So another weird piece of evidence that uh George and Jenny got a hold of is that there was a bus driver who said that? Um, he had saw what looked like somebody throwing fireballs on top of the on top of the roof, and fireballs. Yeah, and Jenny was like, "Huh, fireballs?" Because I remember that one of the times I woke up, there was like you know a sound and like something rolling off my roof, and you know George's theory was that that was actually a pineapple bomb meant to set the house on fire. So, um, one other weird thing I'm going to mention that happened, and then I'm going to explain why George and Jenny thought that they might specifically be targeted, is that it was around the 1960s, um, George and Jenny received a photograph of a younger man that had a really strong resemblance to Lewis. And uh, Hmm. the letter was postmarked in Central City, from Central City, Kentucky. Didn't have a return address. Um, The man was maybe in his late 20s, early 30s. And the back of it had said, um, written on it, said, Lewis Sauter, I love brother Frankie. And then something else that looks like little boys and then some numbers weird so they hired a different private detective um to have that private detective or private investigator go into central city kentucky and try to find out more information on that letter um that investigator disappeared they weren't able to contact him after hire him hiring him and didn't hear anything back from him so
0: man i hope that he like died in a car crash and didn't just like steal money from these poor parents right or
1: you also oh go ahead or you know like maybe he was actually cia and got pulled into like some espionage thing who knows
0: yeah i like that idea the one thing that i always thought that was weird but i wonder if that would be like nowadays we understand that people will like hoax a family you know what i mean like i wonder if that's one of those like sickos who's like hoaxing a family and that's like but we don't have that perspective because it's so long ago
1: well uh, it is believed actually that that picture might be a hoax but yeah you know as with anything it's It's really hard to prove that either way. It's so weird. So, of course, like, that keeps feeling the family. Like, they really do believe these children are still alive. So, you might be thinking to yourself, why on earth would they think that they were specifically targeted for arson, that these trucks had been tampered with, that somebody purposely moved the ladder in a location that would be hard to find, and that they kidnap these children. Yeah, why would you kidnap the yeah, children? Yeah, why would you kidnap children? Well... Jo- I
0: mean, I'm sure there are plenty of people who can think of reasons, but you and I are both like, ugh, why would you want children around <laughs> you? <laughs> well, uh... Yeet, yeet the children. Yeet them away from you.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna say George and Jenny, but... I'm not sure whether this was Jenny's belief, but they believe that they were specifically targeted by the Sicilian Mafia because of George's outspoken opposition to Benito Mussolini.
0: Okay, this is something that I said about this case when we recorded it and then my computer ate it. By the way, listeners, I think this episode is way better than the last one. So, um, but I like the problem I have with that idea aside from like, let's assume that the Italian mafia really is pro Mussolini and they really are ch- like cheesed off that this one guy is going around West Virginia badmouthing them. Uh, okay, let's give them all of that. But why kidnap the children and set the house on fire? Like, wouldn't the children burning up? just be enough? And wouldn't you take credit for it, right? Like, if you're like, yeah, we stole your children, wouldn't it be better to just have them wake up and be like, all our children is gone. What's happening? As opposed to this, like, weird mystery of, like, what really happened? And it just, it doesn't seem like a very clear message being
1: sent by the mafia. Well, I think that's why this makes the worst kind of mystery, and also what is kind of terrifying, right? Like, there's not a satisfactory explanation first off on theoretically why this happened. There's not a satisfactory explanation on the police and fire department side, because I'm gonna be first to admit it, they did a shitty fucking job at investigating it. And of course, like, George and Jenny didn't really help because they bulldozed the area and put up a memorial for their children. Yeah, And then, you know, the other thing that I guess, like, really kind of kills me is this family spent their entire lives, including Sylvia. She was the surviving children and now uh, surviving of those children um, before she died and then all of their grandchildren, like, to their deaths are trying to figure out what happened to these five family members, and they never got answers. You know, they spent their whole lives not knowing. Yeah.
0: Well, did the children, like, the surviving children, were they, like, with their parents on this, or were they kind of like,
1: dad and his weird hobbies? Um, it sounds like everyone was on the same page, that everyone believed that the other children were still alive yeah and that they just continued their investigation trying to figure out what happened to their family
0: well you have a good point like one of the things that's upsetting and really scary about this is that you normally it feels like like the staircase like you either believe wholeheartedly that he murdered her or not right like Most cases like that that are quote-unquote unsolved, people feel really strongly one way or the other, but this is one where, like, I don't totally agree with the Sodders, but there's enough weird shit that I don't totally disagree with them. Like, there's just no comfortable place to sit and be like, this is what I think happened.
1: No, I mean, mean, George clearly had enemies. He was threatened twice. He wasn't popular in his own community. There's, like, just either an extreme series of infor- unfortunate coincidences, or you know, perhaps I mean it's very believable that to think that like organized crime could like pay off a ju- juror's uh, a coroner's jury it could pay off you know a police or fire fire chief um, that mean, could hire if- a thief to go do a job. Uh, At the same time, they're playing, like, it's in the realm of of being believable, but then it's like, yeah, but how much of an enemy is somebody who's just like, fuck Mussolini making with, like, a Sicilian mafia?
0: Yeah, well, it is also one of those things, too. Like, if you are an Occam's Razor person, if you think back of that Frederick Moores episode I did, where, like... Yeah, coroners weren't really regulated until, like, well into the 1900s, so it could just be a weird, like, storm of shitty coincidences. It also, it reminds me, too, of, like, um, cases like, do you know the disappearance of Mara Murray, which is, like, all over the goddamn internet? Do you know that story? Yeah, so this girl is, like, a nursing student somewhere on the East Coast, and I'm sorry I'm hazy on the details because I haven't been... Uh, I heard it a long time ago, but anyway, so she like, she does a bunch of erratic behavior. Like she, her dad is in town visiting her and he has a hotel and he has a rental car because she had like, her car was in the shop for repairs and she like borrows the rental car and is like, I'll see you tomorrow, dad. And she like goes back to her dorm and like gets some homework, leaves like a weird voicemail on her boyfriend's phone. Like, doesn't answer a phone call from anybody and then, like, drives, like, north and then draw, like, makes a reservation in New Hampshire or something or Googles it and then, like, switches and drives west. And, like, just so weird. Not answering phone calls from her boyfriend, not, like, responding to anything. And they find her car in a ditch and. Like, in the back is, like, some wine that's been spilled, and, like, she just essentially kind of, like, like someone drove by, and, like, her car, like, she had crashed in, and they're like, do you need help? And she's like, no, I'm fine. And then she just disappeared. And, like, I think what is most reasonable is that, like, someone drove by and, like, abducted her and then probably killed her. But it's such a big, spooky mystery because of all her weird behavior before she disappeared which probably has nothing to do with why she disappeared, right? Like, but those stories where they're like, well, yeah, she did something crazy and then she disappeared, like, they might not be connected. And it might be something like that, where all of this stuff is really fucking weird, but, like, maybe it has nothing to do with where the children are.
1: Yeah, that's true. It could just be human behavior is weird. Yeah, I think about that sometimes, like,
0: I feel like I kind of have a pretty normal schedule, but then, like, one day... You know, like, every once in a while, I'll just be like, ah, fuck it, I'm not gonna work. I'll just go shop or, you know, go to a museum or whatever. And then I'm like, man, if I disappeared today, they would be like, why did she, you know, do this instead of what she normally did? Or how come she slept late? Like, you know, your last day is gonna be under a lot of scrutiny if you mysteriously disappear. Like, so there might be a perfectly normal reason why you did something. There may be a perfectly normal reason why she heard a thump on the roof and probably wouldn't remember it if it wasn't right before her house burned down, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, and, you know, a human brain is wired to tell
0: stories. Yeah, exactly. It's like, this is how I understand what happened. So, well, that's fucking weird.
1: I am curious, you know, um... I didn't get a whole lot of information on it, uh, wrapping up, but, like, because, you know, you start researching some of these things, and it is a problem with you and I sometimes, in general, telling true crime stories, which is, like, so many people are telling true crime stories, or, you know, on, on to the next, uh, it, but, um you know, you start searching for this stuff and you just get a bunch of um, congestion of the same thing. So I did try to see if any of the family was still investigating or if they had turned up anything new. And it nothing popped up for me in the time frame that I had to do this research. So I am curious to see, you know, did anything else come of this? Was anybody able to get, like, a new lead? Or, you know, if if the grandchildren at this point of have called the search you know done and over i don't know
0: yeah i mean presumably some of the children might still be alive Mm-mm. or very oh they're all dead
1: yeah sylvia was the um the baby the last one you know she was two at the time and i i think she has passed away yeah let's hold for a moment now we'll confirm that
0: do, 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 do. That's your hold music. Do, do, do. Do,
1: do, do, do. Well, this one page says that Sylvia Sauter was still alive in 2015, so I don't have a good answer to that.
0: Yeah, so maybe.
1: Oh, Sylvia Sauter. No, this is Maurice. Why is it showing me this? she might be she's she might still be alive okay i don't know who all the surviving family members are and also yeah the internet is cluttered when you do a search and you have to dig pretty hard to find information about people yeah well i mean even sylvia you know she
0: was two at the time it's not like she would have a firsthand memory of any of this not that that's a prerequisite for caring about what had happened to your family members. But I would imagine that you know, for her maybe it's more like, well, I would do this for my mom not, I have this burning passion to get justice for my sister. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't, I feel like I'm being cruel. But I just mean like, if you had a first-hand memory of it I feel like you might be more inclined to crusade for it. Whereas if you're like, i this all happened before I had any memories, you know, it feels maybe more like a distant story. Well,
1: she, she did promise her family that she wouldn't let the story die. So, like I said, yeah. the whole family was really fucking dedicated to this whole situation, but... um, It's sad
0: because that makes it seem like they were a really, like, close family that liked each other, you know? It
1: sounded like they were a close family. I mean, yeah. that... That, uh... That Christmas that they were having just sound like an ideal Christmas. Like, open some presents, yeah. get special permission from mom to stay up a little bit later and play with toys.
0: Yeah, like, it does feel very much like a Christmas card or something. Yep.
1: But... And then it becomes a Halloween card when it all burns down. So I guess the question is, is... Were the children kidnapped? Well, or did they die in the house fire and somehow there's just an impossible lack of evidence i am inclined towards the latter
0: but i will give you that it is really weird and spooky it gives it's a story that gives me like the creeps and it is weird
1: there's a lot of weird stuff around it what do you think i mean i still think a kidnapping is highly plausible Right. I. This is the
0: podcast of Emily and Jennifer having very big differences. <laughs> Go clean your house. <laughs> I'm not saying
1: mafia did it. What I'm saying is that potentially children I... being kidnapped is probably closer to a real truth to me than their bodies just burning up and there's no evidence of remains because that's just not how fires work. And I'm not saying that because, as we learn with Diatlov's path, uh, path like unusual c- circumstances can create an Im- like something that seems impossible um, to happen actually happen. But I'm just saying yeah. that there seems to be more of a likelihood of kidnapping than there is just death with no body. All right
0: well next week uh we'll tell you the case that this linked up with for us in our minds about billboards and telephone calls and other spooky coincidences local
1: authorities not wanting help from the fbi
0: yep local authorities not wanting help from the fbi uh so yeah thanks for listening and uh goodbye forever goodbye forever All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor is Clint. Intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. Ask nicely and we'll probably send you a really cute sticker. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or write a review. It really helps us and helps more people find us. Goodbye forever.
1: The fact that I just did a bunch of laundry today. You know, I don't mind laundry
0: as a chore because you, like, put it in your machine and then you can walk away and, like, I don't know, you could just lay on the couch eating chips and you're technically doing chores. I mean, when you have to go to the laundromat, it's, you know, fucking the pits. But when you don't have to do that, it's great.
1: I mean, I agree with you, but... So, like um Insider knowledge: I do hand wash a lot of my clothes oh my and God. I hang dry a lot of them. I don't hand wash and... anything,
0: even if it explicitly says only hand wash. I'm like, no, no, I'll
1: repair you if you get broken, but I am not. I'm not doing that. The version, the version of the person that I am is like opposite Emily.
0: <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs>
1: yeah. Because here's (laughs) the thing. I will tell
0: myself that I will hand wash it. But what really happens is it just sits somewhere for like a year. And then I'm like, why is this still here? And I'm like, because you're too lazy to hand wash it. And I'm like, well, it's already sat here for this long. I shouldn't go back on the hand washing like task that I set myself a year ago. And then it just sits there for another year, making me feel guilty and bad about myself. So I'm just like, you know what? No. You're not the boss of me, garment. I'm gonna wash you however I decide. Or just maybe not at all. I don't even I just I don't even fucking hand wash my bras. Those things right into the washer. No special treatment. Listen, you gotta be strong and you gotta be able to hand up to washing.
1: So <laughs> it's like, hi, I'm a minimalist, Emily. I'm a maximalist. In fact, I'm going to just go ahead and maximize this conversation.
0: I have so much underwear, Jennifer, that I... (laughs) I have over 30 pairs of underwear. And I know this because I change my underwear every day, but I can easily go a month without doing laundry.
1: I do my laundry on a schedule. Oh, God. Yeah, we are opposites. How are we friends? (laughs) I just feel like, um... If there is a hell, <laughs> our punishment is going to be that I have to live the way that you live and you have to live the way that I live minus all the fun parts of it. <laughs> that is a 100% true. Like <laughs> if we were d- married,
0: we would already be divorced. Like
1: <laughs> my 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 clothes that hang in the in my closet are not only organized by season, and by occasion, but also by color. How are yours organized? Uh, jackets,
0: shirts, not jackets, or shirts.
1: (laughs) Oh, God. No, so, for real, why I'm complaining about laundry is today is wash bed sheets day. Oh, yeah, that's a terrible day. I hate, I really hate washing them, and I really hate folding them, because... I've not had a king-size bed in my entire life Ugh. until these last five years. I actually, not even last five years, last two years. Two or three years. Two years. Last two years. And everything that comes with having to um, put sheets and blankets and deal with a king-size bed fucking sucks. Yeah, it's huge. It's expensive. It's huge, it's time-consuming, I hate it. So there you go. That's my review on king-size everything.
0: I I have a full-size bed, and I'm not gonna lie, I routinely say that I need a bigger bed just because of the number of times that I wake up in like a weird S position because my cats have gotten on the bed, and as soon as they fall asleep, suddenly they have the density of an animal 12 times their size. (laughs) And then I'm dating someone who's like 64 and he's like, yeah, uh, a full-size bed. My feet like dangle off the edge and I'm just like, "Well, sorry about it." Like <laughs> uh
1: You should just you should get three twin twin beds and push them together.
0: Yeah, one for me, one for overnight guests, and one for cats. The cats, yep. the cats would literally, their favorite place is the middle. And I'm always like, Yeah, everyone's favorite place in the middle is the middle. You have to share that shit.
1: Well, um, I don't recommend it. It is a hassle. But then again, it may not actually be a hassle for you because you and I have very different predilections. I mean, I fold my sheets. I'm not going to say I do it well, but I do it. They become
0: smaller and somewhat neat looking. How often do you change your sheets? I heard this question come up in a different podcast, and I was like, I have absolutely no idea. Like, I know I change them, and I have several sets, so, like, technically I could take the dirty ones off and put clean ones on without immediately having to do laundry. But I have no idea. Like, if you were, like, once a month, once every other month, twice a month four times a year. I have no idea. Like whenever I feel like they start (laughs) to get dirty is when I change them. I do change. I I do change my pillowcases a lot though.
1: That makes sense. Um, Lots of hairy animals.
0: Yeah. And like my skin is sensitive and blah, blah, blah. But I, yeah, I'm a garbage person. I, I am a raccoon
1: in the form of a human and i feel like i'm probably just a bottle of bleach <laughs> i i i i'm being hyperbolic people i i do i'm fine here's the thing i prefer cleanliness and organization and an extreme lack of clutter but you know i have also lived with other human beings and grew up in a house that was constantly overcrowded so i can make space for that and I don't try to like you know force my sickness on other people <laughs> but if I if I live by myself trust me it would look like a hospital
0: <laughs> yeah that's true you are actually a uh, a paragon of a very human insane person because yeah you are very you like all those things like you're describing this accurately but to be around you or be in your house or have you be in my house you would not know because you're not sitting there like critiquing other people or like you don't like straighten my shoes after I set them down or whatever. Like
1: I'm not behind you with a broom. And a right. I mean, <laughs> I would
0: understand if you were, but no, you're not. So that's probably how we're friends. And I will say, I also try to be
1: uh, neater when I am around. Not myself. I think eventually we're just gonna do a podcast on what are the ways that we're different and weird and probably a little bit broken. <laughs> Brought to you by Emily and Jennifer. Emily and Jennifer go to therapy together. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, um Clint's gonna cut out like all of this. He, so he shouldn't. Just... We're being very charming. Yeah, but, but he will. to his point, this is like thirteen minutes of us just like bullshitting about our our sanitary habits, so...